Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Trisha Cook, and this week I'll be talking about intimate partner violence in the time of COVID-19. During these unprecedented times, Gays Against Guns will bring you interviews with our elected officials. This week, Kathy Marino Thomas spoke with Assembly Member Felix Ortez. Hello, everybody. This is Kathy Marino Thomas from Gays Against Guns, and today I am joined by Assembly Member Felix Ortez. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you for visiting us. Um, let's start by letting our listeners know what district you serve and what part of the state. I represent the 51st Assembly District, that is the southern part of Brooklyn, uh, including the communities of Red Hook, Ringwood Heights, South Rock Paslo, Sunset Park, Borough Park, Bay Ridge, and a little piece of Boron Hill. And how are you and how is your district doing during this pandemic? Well, let me just say that it's, uh, it's a lot of sadness in my district. 34% of the Hispanics are the ones who are dying as consequences of the coronavirus. Uh, Today was reporting a 10% additional to it. Uh, so this is really uh, getting very scary. Uh, in my district alone, we have seen over 132 people that have passed away. Uh, this is uh, uh, uncles, grandma, grandpa, brothers and sisters in one family alone. I have the father, the daughter, and the son who went one day after another. So this has been a tragedy after tragedy. Uh, which people really don't see on the news what really is happening on the battlefield uh, in the Sunset Park Red Hook uh, community. And beside that, uh, Kathy, we also have a lot of people who uh, went the weekend without having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's been very, very devastating. As, as you probably know, my district also have a lot of uh, immigrants where you have eyes knocking doors still. So we had to push back and we had to let people know that it's very critical I'm very important that if they are sick, they have to call the doctor, they have to call 311, they have to call the emergency, the emergency room and look for care because this is very scary. Regarding being locked up in, in our homes with our loved ones, and we hope that we're locked up with our loved ones, have you seen an increase or a decrease in the domestic violence calls? We spoke to Assemblymember Simon last week and she was very concerned because she saw a decrease. We have seen the same the same numbers. Uh, you know, I keep it, I keep track with my local prisons. Uh, <clears throat> I have a great relationship with them. You know, I, and and this is something that I uh, I'm very very concerned about it because most of the people uh, that are uh, locked down in their homes uh, they might be surrendered by uh, by someone that is abusive. I do three robocalls a week. Uh, one uh, to address the issue of the food, the issue of the unemployment and the issue of the mental health and the physical health of our people, especially the areas of domestic violence and others. That is a fantastic thing that you're sent, setting out to them. So folks in your district can just call your office um, if they're in trouble and you'll reach out and try to help them. Absolutely. They can reach out my office at 718-492-6334. They also can follow me on Facebook because I've I, I, I will tell you the truth. I finally learned how to use Facebook. You also carry lots of important legislation for gun violence protection currently. Well, why don't we tell our listeners about what's in the pipeline? So one of the top priorities for me at, in this session is a bill that would prohibit 
the creation of ghost guns in New York. And, uh, and that is an important piece of legislation. We cannot lose sight uh, of the devastation that a gun has into our families. We need to bring the invisible to be visible, which is mean we need to have more uh, gun control in place to ensure that we can take arms away from people. We also look into establish a stateway database and make all ammunition sold in New York to be trackable, that we be able to make sure that we know where they are. We also we are also working on legislation requiring firearm manufacturers to include global positioning system technology in all firearms that we will be able to keep track of the firearm. And then we require owners of firearms to obtain a 250000 liability insurance to compensate victims of gun fire and encourage gun owners to ensure their firearm is under and storage properly. All these pieces of legislation are common sense, are doable, and we have to continue to put the pressure now that we have the Senate majority, I think we'll be able to get it done. You do some fantastic work in this space, I have to say, and that's why Gays Against Guns supports you so heavily. Thank you so much. How about oh, saying you. something to your constituents in their own language? Well, primeramente, gracias, Kathy, por tenerme en tu programa. Aquí yo considero de que esta es una oportunidad brillosa y preciosa donde estamos trabajando ustedes y nosotros juntos para poder eh, controlar las almas que están fuera en las comunidades, que no deben de estar ahí. También hablar sobre la, la, la problemática de violencia doméstica y cualquier persona que se encuentre en situaciones difíciles Pueden comunicarse con mi oficina al 718-492-6334. Me pueden seguir en mi página de Facebook o my Instagram. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for the interview today. You stay healthy, my friend, and we'll see you soon. We see you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kathy and Felix. Later in the show, we'll speak to the ways you can reach out for help if you're experiencing abuse. But first, some good news on the legal front from The Washington Post. The Supreme Court on Monday dismissed a major gun rights case from New York because the law in question had been rescinded, disappointing Second Amendment activists and several conservative judges who said the court had been manipulated. The controversy involves now-rescinded restrictions unique to New York City about whether citizens who have a license to keep a gun in their homes may transport them to firing ranges outside the city or to a second home in the state. After the Supreme Court took the case to decide whether those restrictions violated the constitutional right to keep and bear arms, the city got rid of them. Then the state of New York passed a law that would keep them from being reenacted. The unstated purpose of both the city and state actions might have been to make the case moot and deny conservatives on the court a chance to explore whether there is a right to carry a gun outside the home. The majority opinion said that the case was moot and the arguments made by plaintiffs to try to keep it alive were too late. Chief Justice John Roberts appeared to be in the majority along with Justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. The arguments in December on the New York case were the first time the court had considered the limits of gun control measures since the retirements of Justice Anthony Kennedy, who played a pivotal role between conservatives and liberals on such cases. But most of the discussion involved questions about whether the court still had a live controversy because the restrictions were no longer on the books. The lawsuit was brought by the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, an affiliate of the National Rifle Association. The case reached the Supreme Court after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit ruled for the city. This was such an incredibly important ruling for the GVP movement. 
the NRA and their allies were pushing for a radical interpretation of the Second Amendment that would have put the most basic gun safety laws at risk. It's a huge victory for all of us fighting to end gun violence. So thank you, Washington. Each week at this time, we remember and honor a person whose life was taken as a result of gun violence. Tonight, Sunny Moon honors the life of Terry Dupuis. On Easter Sunday, 50-year-old Terry Dupuis was shot and killed by his 19-year-old son, Eden, with an AR-15. Eden then killed himself with the same gun. This happened in Marksville, Louisiana. I went to high school in Louisiana with Terry and stayed in touch with him through the years on Facebook. He occasionally interacted with me on non-political posts through the years. He was a Grammy-nominated audio engineer and producer, and Terry's talents influenced the musical landscape of Acadiana and beyond. I later learned from my other high school friends that there were some concerning warning signs, as there usually is, and they did what they could do to help. According to a public Facebook post by Eden's mother, Terry had been struggling with alcoholism for some time and an undiagnosed mental health neurological issue. When COVID-19 hit their area, Terry started to lose touch with reality and talked about the apocalypse and starting carrying guns and stockpiling food. The son Eden struggled with depression himself and was autistic, so it was very hard for him to socialize. And his world was the gamer world and he essentially lived online. So the two of them lived together, struggling with their mental health issues in the setting of the COVID-19 crisis. Also, Eden had bought an AR-15 several months earlier, which the mother disapproved of, but Terry had reassured her that he was making sure that Eden was being taught to be a responsible gun owner. Eden's mother noted that he struggled to get people to hire him because he was different, but he could buy a semi-automatic weapon without a problem. A couple of weeks before the murder-suicide, in a fit of rage, Terry had shot and destroyed his son's computer because he was frustrated that Eden was spending too much time on his computer and was not taking the COVID-19 situation seriously and was not helping out as much as Terry wanted. Terry bragged about shooting his son's computer in a local Facebook group for our high school. And when some of my friends learned about what Terry did, they reached out to local law authorities because they were concerned that the situation would escalate. In a state with no red flag laws and a state that highly values gun culture, the guns were not removed from the home. And so now there are two dead people. Thank you, Sonny. This virus is brutal. The instability and fear it's created has led to an increase in both self-inflicted gun deaths and intimate partner murders. One of the areas that often gets overlooked in times of increased instability at home is the effect it has on the children in the house. This week, Virginia Vitzthum spoke with Tiffany Carter, project manager at Joe Torrey's Safe at Home Foundation, an organization that helps find safe spaces for children exposed to violence in their homes. Hello, I'm here with Tiffany Carter, Vice President of Programming at the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation. Tiffany, can you tell me a little bit about what Joe Torrey, its, its history and what it does? Absolutely, and thank you so much for having uh, me here and having me join you today. Um, so the Joe Torrey Foundation was actually founded in 2002, and it was founded by Joe Torrey and his wife, Allie, in response to Joe's history of childhood uh, 
violence exposure. So as a young child, Joe grew up in a home where there was domestic violence between his parents. Um, and as an adult, he really started to better understand the impacts of his violence exposure on his functioning and on his life choices. And he really wanted to commit himself to giving other young people opportunities to feel safe. And so that really uh, pushed him and his wife to want to create the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation. The primary focus of the work that we do, so we're a school-based intervention and prevention program co-located on a variety of school campuses across the country. Uh, those schools offer us a, a safe space, a private room that is specifically used for Margaret's Place um, activities and work. And we really focus in two areas. We, we provide intervention services, which really focus around trauma-informed counseling for young people. And in the context of prevention, we're really thinking about this idea that it is really helpful for folks to understand what violence is. So what do you say to people about uh, a gun in the home? So as most of our work really centers around youth, and it really centers around adults who present as being uh, victims or, or survivors of, of violence in their homes, we kind of really like to start with the psychoeducation, right? So we are big proponents in helping folks understand what research has told us, what qualitative data has told us, what survivors have told us about their experiences. There's lots of research out there that kind of tells us that when folks have access to firearms, that there's a higher risk of those being used as a way to, you know, maintain power control and as a way to honestly harm people. And there's lots of research, uh, both in New York State and just across the nation, that that is, that that is real. Typically, when we, are, when, we are, when we are working with folks who are either in the situation currently or have survived the situation, um, we're really wanting to start with that educational piece just so folks can understand what those risks could be. We don't want to be in a place where we're telling you because we know as survivors, like to give them back their autonomy, to give them back their voice and to let them be the dr in the driver's seat of their lives. We believe that they're reaching out to us means that they really want to keep themselves safe. We also understand there's connectivity to the person who's causing harm to them, but we understand that they're reaching out because they are looking for some, someone to connect with around their experiences, and we want to keep them the most safe. And if keeping them the most safe means getting the school involved and understanding kind of what's going on uh, so we can create ways for them to be at school at the same time safely, it could very well mean getting parents involved so that parents can understand what's going on and be a part of this plan of helping people stay safe. Um, it could mean getting other types of services involved, whether it's engaging a variety of hotlines, whether it's engaging the police, like whatever it looks like in the context of their experience. Could I get um, the hotline number that people should call? We give the, the national hotline number if this could go across New York City, which is 1-800-799-7233. Then there's also, for New York specific, one 800 621-621-HOPE, which is 4673. Thank you. Um, any final things you would want to tell people in terms of staying safe in the context of there might be a gun in your house uh, given the restrictions of the pandemic? I would like to say to trust your gut. I think internally people have a sense that something is askew, that something isn't right, that something feels like it's escalating even if nothing in the environment has changed. Um, and we would always encourage folks to trust that feeling, that that feeling saves lives all the time. And that even if you're wrong, 
you can still be wrong tomorrow. And so realistically, if you trust that feeling and you feel like something is out of sources and anything could happen in any capacity, um, that is when we want to encourage folks to really enact those safety plans. And typically those safety plans do have to do with reaching out in safe ways to either folks in their in internal circles or engaging more of the hotlines, the police, whatever you need to create a plan to shift and, and to ensure safety, but to trust your gut and reaching out for those supports because those supports do exist. And they are there to hold folks and to connect with folks and to continue to provide the, the support in spite of the fact that New York in particular and many cities around the country are being asked to shelter in. Thank you. That's a really important point about, about trusting your yourself. Um, and given that people could be crowded into a small place without much privacy. Can you text these numbers that you mm -hmm. gave me? If you, okay, so they're both can, phone and text. Yes, you can text and for folks who are in crowded conditions where stepping outside of your door, outside of your, of your dwelling may send red flags if they were to text um, the word home, H-O-M-E, to the number 741, 741. There are advocates who will connect with you immediately, check in with you about what that crisis is, and support you appropriately in getting connected further outside of the spaces of your walls. These are, these are really good resources, really useful to just hear about the psychology of all this and minimizing risk. So thank yeah. you so much for talking to us here at thank the Gates you. Defense. Thank you yes. so much for inviting me. This was great. All right. Be safe. You too, you as well, Virginia. Have a great day. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI. We are here every Tuesday evening at 6.30, bringing you the latest from the gun violence prevention movement. Tonight's show is about coronavirus and domestic violence. So what do we do when being away from our home puts us at risk? Governors and mayors from all over the country have directed people to shelter in place. At the moment, California is under a safer-at-home directive. The executive order from Michigan's governor is titled, Stay Home, Stay Safe. For millions of people who live with abusive partners, this language may ring hollow. Indeed, for a sizable portion of the population, home is a very unsafe place. Over the past month and a half, as most of the country has retreated into their homes and America's medical systems have become increasingly overrun, victims have seen their options for recourse dwindle. Many are trapped 24-7 with their abuser. Some have the additional strain of children at home. They cannot reach out for help because they are never alone. People who have been beaten by their partners are weighing whether or not to go to the emergency room and put additional pressure on medical workers, who, needless to say, already have their hands full. Furthermore, many victims may be health workers themselves, the majority of whom are women. A recent study published in BMC Women's Health Journal found that 45% of healthcare professionals had experienced domestic abuse out of a poll of nearly 500. More comprehensive statistics from the National Domestic Violence Hotline's webpage show that nearly 3 in 10 women and 1 in 10 men have been victims of rape, physical violence, and stalking by a partner. And that's just out of the reported cases. With the increased stress put on our health systems and the increased emotional and financial stressors that often drive abusers to action, it is hard to imagine those numbers going down. 
And in the last two months, gun sales have surged across the country. The website ammo.com reported a 792% increase in revenue from February 23rd to March 31st. The increased flow of guns and ammo into households during this crisis is particularly worrisome for victims of domestic abuse. According to Everytown for Gun Safety, when abusive partners have access to firearms, they are five times more likely to kill their female victims. This pandemic has thrown everybody's life into a hodgepodge of chaos, uncertainty, and depression. This is especially true of victims of domestic abuse. If you are a victim, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is available 24-7 to both calls and live chats. You can reach the hotline at one 800 799-7233 or online at thehotline.org. If you feel that you are not in a safe position to reach out to the hotline, consider asking a trusted friend or family member to make a call on your behalf. In the case of an emergency, call 911. The website futureswithoutviolence.org has a comprehensive list of resources for people who are coping with abuse and trauma in their households. And if you are not personally a victim, but know somebody who is, reach out. Ask them how they are doing and if they need anything. Help them feel less alone during this crushingly lonely time. When you feel like throwing up your hands and giving up, reach out to family, friends, neighbors, your local pharmacy, anyone who can make a call for you if you can't. Remember this epidemic won't last forever, and there is help out there. To find out more about becoming a member of GAG, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Gun New York on Facebook and Instagram or GAG No Guns on Twitter. You're also welcome to join us at our meetings that take place via Zoom. Our next online meeting is a week from Thursday, May 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Gaggers from all over the country have been joining these online calls and joining in on all of the actions we've been planning. For more information about how to attend this week's GAG online member meeting, check us out on social media. I'd like to end the show by giving some huge hell yes to Tiffany Carter, Felix Ortez, and all of the essential workers out there showing up to deliver our food, drive our buses, and fight this virus. Thank you. Hell yeah. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday evening at 6.30. Don't forget... You can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And now, our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Oh yeah, we'll tell you something. We got you on the run. If you are an abuser, we want to take your Shooting random folks while they hide.
No. 